It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Who's that? Who? Oh, I love Sam. You know, you know, I love Sam Fender. Um, welcome, welcome to Trot's Life, the Metrospective Edition. Right now, uh, Campbell Brown just trying to uh, take wheels off a, a bicycle, which has caused. Whenever you leave anything here, it doesn't matter whether it's a pair of thongs, a bike. Uh, you could leave. You could leave a set of. Ca- it doesn't matter. People then, a narrative begins about where this uh, product might have come from, who left it, why did they leave it, um, and this bike has, has been the, the talk of the town, and right now it's being, uh, it's being just sort of put into a position where it can be slotted into its little bike holder, uh, exactly where it's going to sit now in Coventry Street, we don't know, but... Uh, Brown Dog might let you know that a little bit later on when he comes on for trackside. Right, Metrospective Edition starts. Steve Cleave, how are you, my friend? I'm going very well, Joe Bond, and you? Uh, very well. Yep. No, uh, oh. it's been a big weekend, and Saturday night was a lot of fun. But it's been it's been another big weekend with uh, the Breeders' Crown beginning as well. Yeah, no, it has been a massive weekend, and uh, everything's just starting to warm up for our uh, big carnivals coming up. So it's uh, it's great to see, and it was amazing to see some of the times that the two-year-olds were running at Maribyrie yesterday. I've just been going through all the sectionals, and it's wow, it's it's sort of lit my screen right up. Yeah, it's it's a completely different world what they're able to do at such a young age these days. We know that, um, but it always does shock you when you watch them and just think, oh my dear lord. Um, have we gone to another level this year than we were at last year or the year before? And the progression is staggering to the point where that's the thing that's feeding into the, the four-year-olds, the younger horses probably being at the top of the tree these days earlier than they ever have been. But before we get to the Breeders' Crown qualifiers staged on Friday and yesterday, let's start with uh, Saturday night when we rocked up at Tabcorp Park, melted after my 45-minute walk from Colbank Station to Tabcorp Park. Um we were shocked by the performance of Cloud Nine, well tipped by Kirsten Graham, who was our partner in crime on Saturday night in the studio out there at Vicarnas headquarters. But um, this was this was basically the start of the trend of the night and probably the weekend with an Emma Stewart runner that that probably doesn't well doesn't rank among their their really really top um, top liners. You wouldn't have thought Cloud Nine, or we certainly didn't think so before Saturday night coming out and producing. A bravura display, 153.7, mile rate home in 56 from a wide second line draw. 
staggering, but it gave us the uh, feeling of, or the vibe of what was to come for the remainder of the evening, Steve. Yeah, it certainly did and, and had to do some work too to get around uh, into the death seat. But, gee, when Mark Pitt said go on the corner, it just put these away like they were just second raiders. And, okay, there's probably no horses in this that are going to be winning any big Group 1 races in the future, but it's still, you know, the week before it was a dollar twenty favourite and ran second. Um, the punters, I'd, <laughs> whoever was on him that week and they weren't on him Saturday night would be very, very upset. But... Emma Stewart and Clayton Tonkin just have a knack at improving their horses second up. We spoke about this Saturday night. They used to be the best first up, sort of target them first up, and they just go massive. But they seem to have changed their training style a tad, and it now allows just some improvement. And we saw that with multiple runners Saturday night. Just checking on Brown Dog. Um <laughs> It's not your bike, is it, Bond? I mean, you you forget everything. Yeah, so. no, it's not my bike. Um, but it's just, it's, 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 there's just a lot of movement here. There's there's some tricep work. Uh, there's pins here. I feel like brown dogs. So I'm I am completely useless when it comes to fixing anything or, or being mechanical or sort of engineering wise. But I'm feeling like brown dog has only got me covered by probably a short half head at the moment. I got to be t- I got to be really honest. Yes, cloud nine, amazing. Twenty four point seven meters the margin. Um, and that that time, for those who don't who don't sort of get around the mile rates too much, one fifty three seven's only a couple of seconds outside the Tabcorp Park, Melton middle trip twenty two hundred and forty meter record. So for us, yes, it was beaten by who was it? It was that one of Albie Ashford's Laurie Mamara or one of these uh, first up from a break has turned up here and, and gone one fifty three seven is out of this world. So the, uh, with with him being in one race and the others being in a completely different race, did anybody catch your eye? Foolish pleasure wasn't bad, but would have enjoyed the tempo being on. I, I couldn't really pick anything out, to be honest, uh, outside of that, Steve. No, race one, I really didn't. Well, even the first few races, I didn't really get anything for the Black Bookers. The winner was just way too dominant. Um, by other boy and Foolish Pleasure were both good runs, but when you've got a margin you know, of twenty, nearly 25 metres, it's really hard to try and pick something coming out of that to then go and win. But if you take the favourite out of the race and just have a look at the next group, it was a very even lot. There was nothing really jumping out whatsoever. We got. We might get one more race uh, done in the retrospective review of the only eight races at Melton. So we will have a look at all of the Breeders' Crown qualifiers across the weekend, Friday and Sunday as well, as that cockatoo is really letting us know at your joint, Steve. That is... That is it. What that is it? That is a cocky. It's having a dip. Whatever it is, that's one of about five hundred that are here, mate. So, uh, it's, <laughs> they are shocking. They drive me inside. That is. I'll tell you what. That 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 has prepared you for the media, and people squawking at you the entire time because that is uh, that's that's some volume that that cocky is getting. Right, race two at Melton on Saturday night, won by the old boy Hammers Law. Start number one fifty. Eight-year-old Gelding, uh, been everywhere, man. Troubles he's had his share, man, but he turned up here. Brilliant drive from Anthony Barton. We're thinking of Sonia Smith, who I didn't know prior to the post-race interview last or, or on Saturday night that um, she was suffering from a severe tooth infection. So hopefully that eased the pain momentarily with Hammers Law winning. But um, pretty amazing effort, both uh, 
in South Australia and from Son and Ants to be able to get this horse reinvigorated and feeling good again because he didn't beat nobody's on Saturday night. Elder Barandino, who ran second, we think is a potential star of the future. So big effort. Yeah, no, it was a super effort. And Ants actually gave a fair bit of credit to uh, the people that had him in South Australia, said they sent him over in terrific order and uh, they just had to keep him ticking along, which was really nice to hear. Uh, as I said, he'd won eight of 15 in South Australia. So he was certainly going really well over there, but it's always hard to bring South Australian form to Victoria. Um, so it's certainly hard to judge, you know, how they're going to go. And and thus he was $13 and uh, we certainly didn't have him tipped in our top four. But Ants just drove him like the tough old horse he is. He just said, let's get moving. He, he worked his way to the front and, and he absolutely kept him rolling. And it was just an absolute perfect drive by Ants. It's, you know, it shows why he's one of our best. He, he knows how to get the best out of these horses. Elder Barandino was, I thought, brilliant. Uh, running second um, and his time sort of show it the, the the difference I suppose for the getting beat was probably a little bit of that you know tough and old war horse versus young fresh horse on the scene that's not really used to running that I had a quick look at his time Elder Barandino's run his last mile in 156.6 now to put that in perspective the winner has run his last mile in 158.8 so he's actually gone 2.2 seconds quicker for his last mile. Mm. So that run, if you go back through the times, actually breaks up to be a, an excellent run. And, and one must remember that that was start number 143 for Hammers Law and start number nine for Alda Barandino, as I mentioned on Saturday night on Trot's Vision. It's, um, it's when you loom up like that, uh, you can be worried out of it. And, and it doesn't mean that Alda Barandino isn't, on the progression that we think he's on. He was unable to defeat uh, the very smart and progressive interview when he had to race outside the leader, but he just does not put in bad runs. And I think both Steve and I will nearly guarantee you he is going to be a star of the future. He's a big boy. He's undeveloped. He's not quite there yet. And once he does develop, and that'll take him another 20 starts, 30 starts, maybe 40 starts to get to his best, he's going to be a real uh, He's going to be the real deal, I think. Dan Underbark is solid. Um, they were in a race. They were in two races again, weren't they? So Hammers Law and Elder Barandino have got the rest, but down under Barker's Electro Jed and Over Sun, very hard to make much of the remainder because there wasn't a hell of a lot between them. The only thing we can say is that um, Bromwich, well, things uh, things clearly went amiss with Bromwich, but um, we're really at the crossroads with him at the moment. Yeah, big time. I, I was a big tip on him. I thought he finds the front. He he goes really close to winning, and it was D-Day for him. And unfortunately, that D-Day just put a little black line through him until we see him turn his form around. I, I couldn't be tipping him again. So I'm not sure uh, if anything came of the vet's examination. There was nothing listed. So uh, hopefully everything is all right. But as I said, he's just going to need to turn it around. And like the first race, the second race, and even the third race, the margins that they were pulling out, on Saturday night were just impressive. Like these two, I mean, Elder Barandino has been beaten six metres, but then it was 23 metres back to third place and there was a big group of them after that. So there was certainly some eye-catching uh, races early on. Well, it's time to go for our first break on the Monday edition of Trot's Life, retrospective edition of Trot's Life, and that theme continues when we turn up with race three, a 14.6 metre margin for hatchback over Royal Charlotte and leg one 
of a double training and driving from the great John Justice, and it's very much age-related. Starts with that back, and a little bit later on, we'll talk about Hall in the end. Back in a moment, more Metrospective coming at you on SEN Track. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499-736-736. Welcome back. Yep, keep your eyes on me. Talk is cheap. Metrospective, and for those somehow who have never listened before, on a Monday, Steve Cleave and I get together and uh, we try and find you future winners, but also deify the wonderful performances throughout the course of the week or weekend. More appropriately on this occasion, it will be Friday, Saturday and Sunday that we're covering. Normally, it can be just Saturday night, but we're going to cover th- the third race three on Saturday night at Melton, won by Hatchback in devastating fashion. We had a lot of discussion on the panel on Trot's Vision, Cleavy, about who might roll forward, uh, who wouldn't, and if everybody had a crack, what that might cause for the lead time and the general tempo of the race. As it turned out, Hatchback was able to just hang out there three deep. Ultimate stride goes back at the start, rolls to the front, and gets a little bit of a peach early, but it was still a very, very good win. This was the Hatchback that we were hoping for a couple of years ago, I reckon. Just lost Cleavy for, uh, for a moment. Yeah, Sorry, you got me. He's back now. Um, I'm back. This was the hatch- I heard you. Yeah this, 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 <laughs> yeah. this was the hatchback that we were thinking when he was having those uh, those those clashes with Always Ready and Co. And he looked like he was going to be this type of horse. He sort of he's, – he's ridden a roller coaster. It's not as though he hasn't done a job. He certainly has. Country Cup winner, as we mentioned on Saturday night. But um, this was the this was the really good performance that we've been waiting a little while for. Yeah, this is showing a bit of his form of old. Once he, he just loves to lead this horse. He's so much better once he's out in front and rolling on his own terms. And when Queenie Bajan went to the front, uh, it was an interesting sort of positive there. Hatchback worked around, sat in the death for a little bit and then said, no, nah, I'm going to the front. And uh, the race was pretty much his from then on in. And Queenie Bajan, after a really good first up run at Meribara, I, I just don't think she's any good getting used early. I think that Maribara run where she's just driven stone cold suits her the best. So she was a bit disappointing dropping off, but hatchback ran some uh, very quick sectionals like, you know, 29-4, then 28-7, 28-9. So just kept the pace going to make it hard for those out the back to get into it. Ultimate stride was moving up three wide of the trail behind Chinese Whisper when he broke stride um, and that sort of put him out of the race. Chinese Whisper loomed up like it was going to win it and just sort of wilted on its run. Uh, one that did go very good, I thought, and I just went back and, and checked the times out on it, was uh, Majestical Bell. Now, it's ran fifth and it's been 20, beaten 20.7 metres, but when I go through its time, it ran its middle half in 57.3, its last half in 57.5, only two horses in the race broke 158 for their last mile, and that was the winner, Hatchback at 157.7 and Majestical Bell at 157.5. So it's easy on paper to look at and say, yeah, that was a fair run. But going back through its times, first up since May, that was a terrific effort. Yeah, I agree. Um, very good run first up from a break. It might be worth noting even uh, one of my old theories about coin invasion who went amazingly – I do agree she's not as good when getting used early, and that's true for uh, a lot of horses. We'll talk about a couple down the track, one in particular down the track. But 
Uh, her market expectation first up from a break was pretty moderate, and yet she's gone outstandingly well. And I've always had the theory, as many people would know, and this is not only in the trots, but in uh, in all forms of racing, certainly thoroughbred racing as well, that if, uh, if a horse goes too well first up from a break, you can definitely expect second up syndrome and you might expect a, an entire preparation that doesn't quite go to plan because it's it's sort of it's skewed the wrong way. But um, we need more evidence before we come to that conclusion with Queen Invasion. But, yeah, Hatchback, very, very good. Uh, Royal Charlotte, I reckon, is trending back towards something. She's just an older mare, um, dual oaks winner, we know, as a three-year-old. But she's needed some runs back from a break to get her fitness levels back up. She's the other way around. She's definitely trending in the right direction. Every single run this campaign has been better, and that was clearly the best. Uh, Chizzy's gone well, considering he was first up too. Chinese Whisper, what what on earth do we make of him? He didn't actually miss a start by that far. He only missed it by a few metres. And uh, when he when he came looming up, you thought, well, at very, very least, he's going to be in the finish. And that brilliant, crazy push-button acceleration we're used to from him, there was none of it. No, no, just nothing. Oh, just as I said, at the top of the straight, I went, wow, Chinese Whisper's just going to absolutely let loose here and, and make a race of it, but just found nothing the moment they straightened up. So big question mark goes over that one. Uh, race four. DH still battle of the claim is final. They came in with a plan. They executed it. Mighty flying out. We were questioning uh, last week, why are you in uh, the battle of the claim series for $10,000? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I'll do the exact math. We've all done a little bit of uh, bucket maths with what Mighty Flying Art go out of the series, but ten thousand dollars did get claimed, and uh, Team Yol were were the or, or associates of Team Yol uh, nailed all the claims here, and they were for a, a Mighty Flying Art, a million promises, and also gobsmacked. So Mighty Flying Art gets fifty seven hundred dollars for winning the heat, and then turns up and gets thirteen six eighty. So that's uh, 18, 19,380, 20, it's almost $30,000 that Mighty Flying Arts picked up by sweeping the series and getting claimed. And everything here pretty much went to plan, didn't it, uh, Clever? You, you were sort of suggesting Franco Hampton could improve enough to, <clears throat> to potentially swi- uh, switch second and third, make a little switcheroo there and a swap with a million promises. That did happen. But other than that, pegline domination with Van Murrow running fourth. So if you played your skinny exotics and you didn't make some money out of this race, um, very much back to the drawing board with your form. Yeah, no, 100% there. As I said, Franco Hampton, we thought, uh, with the run under its belt, it could be the one to, you know, swap it around, which it did. I did speak to David Moran in the parade ring and said to him, you know, being an Emma Stewart horse, being second up, it's, it's probably gone on is he going to go and put some pressure on this favourite and actually make a race of it? And David just said no. So to me, that almost put him in for a lock for second, and that's why I did switch him around with a million promises. Van Mara, I thought, went a little bit better again this week. Um, A million promises, probably not as good as last week. I think it was just off the bit and and struggling a little bit around the corner, but then got kicking again up the home straight. So I don't know whether maybe it just doesn't really corner that well or not. But... uh, it was pretty much just going to be a copy and paste job. And as I said, just switching those two around, it, it just came out the same as the uh, the heat the week before. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't mind knowing, as, as mentioned, uh, either, either Ben Yell himself or Associates, they put in virtually all of the claims. 
um, for Mighty Flying Art, for A Million Promises and for Gobsmacked. I'd love to know the business model. The, the, the number of horses obviously is enormous, but to get them all down to uh, – some of them will stay in Victoria. Most of them will go down to Tasmania. Um, but it's an, it's, a, it's an enormous number of – I suppose you've just got to rationalise it and say, well, can I make – if you can make a dollar out of any runner that you pick up, then – You've beaten the um, you've beaten the tax man, but uh, it, it's a it's a wild model, isn't it? It's, it's to get that many horses that they do. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you can understand a horse like Mighty Flying Out. I mean, we spoke about it. You'd be tempted yourself to maybe claim him, and then you could send him to probably any state in Australia. And uh, as long as he stays sound and everything else, the ten thousand dollar purchase is probably pretty cheap. So you can certainly understand that. A Million Promises is really probably going to suit Tasmania racing. Gobsmack, I thought, was the interesting one. Uh, we're interested to see where he goes and and sort of where he goes on from there too. It's also worth noting uh, <clears throat> for those questioning it, um, you know, we don't know the exact details. I don't think anybody other than the, cl- the camp or the, those that have been around Mighty Flying Art would know the exact details. But when you go into these claimer series, um, most of them have done a fair bit of racing. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them normally when you go into any claimer has done a fair bit of racing. And uh, the niggles m- may have begun. And Mighty Flying Art, I think I think everyone in the industry knows he's not the soundest horse going around. And that that's, that's part of the risk you take as well. So if you're ever... We want people to go in there and, and, and buy claimers. But if you're, uh, if you're new to the sport... You, you have to – it's caveat emptor, isn't it, to some degree. You've got to go in when you look at these claims, and if something particularly looks much cheaper than you believe it otherwise should be, then you, you've got to sort of question it and go, well, okay, I might have this horse for a few months. I might have him for a few years, I, but I, I might not know, and there's vet checks that need to be undertaken. But um, that is just one of the little intricacies of the of the claiming game, isn't it, Clevy, that you've got to know before you – before you decide to try and get one. It really is. And and one thing these days, I suppose, is a lot's changed since, you know, when they first started the claimers. Originally, I suppose, you'd probably try to cover those sort of things up to hope that the horse got claimed. But I think you'll find now, if you go to, say, went and spoke to Julie or Glenn Douglas and said, hey, I'm interested in claiming this horse, what's the geo? I'm, I'm positive that they would tell you everything that's, wrong or right with that horse i don't think there's any secrets kept i think you'll find pretty much trainers these days are happy to tell you look this is it here it is on a platter that's why he's worth this much if you want to claim him you're well informed it's all up to you now and and that's a great thing to have too if it is like that because at least it gives you an informed decision to make um nobody feels like they've been harshly done by or had the wool pulled over their eyes uh, but you do you really do have to do your own homework yeah, well, you don't, the thing is, you don't want um, the reason it's it's gone that way is because nobody wants a bad reputation, and also some sometimes people or trainers or connections put horses into claimers without wanting them to be claimed. But more often than not, they do want them to be claimed. And if you anybody gets a reputation that you're going to get a horse off uh, such and such that is you know half broken by the time you get it, no one's ever going to claim your horse. That's that, that, that's that's the that's the long and the short of it. So that's why transparency is key, and it is a great thing that it's happening now. Let's go for a break, find out what's happening in the world and the news, and when we return, we'll kick into the Quaddy Legs races five, six, seven, and eight at Tabcorp Park, Melton on Saturday night. 
Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. I'm a mess, I'm a mess. When we're not together, such a wreck, such a wreck. Is this, is this new Avril? Is it? Can't say she hasn't got a definitive voice. I wish it was me and you till the end. I like it just because I like Avril. Song doesn't seem anything overly special right there on, on first inspection, but. I uh, just an Avril lover. Right. With four races down in the retrospective review of the races at Tabcourt Park Mountain on Saturday night. But, as mentioned, we'll be going back and having a look at the Breeders' Crown qualifiers. Breeders' Crown started, if people didn't know, over the weekend, Friday and Sunday. Here was my favourite win of the night. Uh, and for obvious reasons, and um, we all tipped it. It was a party horse right across the panel on Saturday night on Trot Division between Kirsten Graham, Steve Cleave and myself and also Luke Humphreys up in the box who made it his best. I've been an advocate for this horse. I've loved him. I've needed him to get a win like this. He did win a couple of starts back. But uh, who in the end, wasn't he so very good? And uh, Luke Humphreys made a significant mention of it post-race, the fact that the second, third and fourth runners were leader, three poles behind the leader, all along the pegs. So for Hooligan to come from where he did... And win this race in a in a pretty slick mile rate of one fifty four six, it was pretty impressive. And now he's on a path toward the Inter Dominion Series, hopefully, Clevy. Yeah, no, it was a great win. It was a a terrific race. It was funny that was my better than night, not Hull in the end, but actually uh, the Quinella Hull in the end and Rick Riley. If when I do these black bookers, I've sort of gone away from just watching horses and just watching them hit the line and say, hey, this is a black booker, that's a black booker. All these black bookers that I'm giving now are all through data, going back through their sectionals, you know, against other horses and where they come from and everything else. And both, like, Hooli Nian has been smashing the clock and, you know, he just needed the right placing and in, in the run and he was always going to be the hard hardest horse to beat. $3.20, I thought, was great value on him. Rick Riley's another horse that's just been absolutely smashing the clock week after week after week. We black booked him last week when we were on. He came out tonight. I thought, well, if he gets up in the front sort of three, he's going to be very hard to beat. And when he led, he's gone down by a head. He was $9, which is a terrific each-way bet. And the Quinella paid $13.50. But on paper, when you speed mapped and then went back through the data, and I keep pushing this because the data's there for everyone to see. I can log on to the trops.com, go down, find sectionals and get this data that I'm reading off. So it's not just something that we've got, you know, privy to that no one else does. This is out there for anyone to go and look through. It's all really easy to break down, but you can pick out races like this. And, and this was one that just unfolded perfectly. And I know they don't always do that, but this race just unfolded perfectly when it comes to, you know, picking out your runners through the data that is supplied. But well, in the end, he, he gave us a little bit of a worry after the straight. You weren't sure whether he was going to get it or not, but he does what he does best, and he stuck that big head of his out and just broke the clock again coming from uh, coming from mid just behind midfield. He ran his last quarter going three wide around them in 26.59. He's, yeah, like, the, uh, so 100% agree with you with the data um, that um, we, we're watching these horses and you're seeing which ones can consistently put the score on the board number-wise. But this uh, this win from Hulian, there were a few things about it for me. One is, 
Yes, it was a little drop, dropping great. But he's been unlucky his last couple because he's been held up, cuddled, middle trip, and then exposed just in the, in the very concluding stages. And sometimes that doesn't work out because you've got to make up your ground quickly. And you've, It's more than how quickly you've got to make up your ground for hauling the end. It's about having clear air. If you've got no clear air and, and you, you can be sprinting as fast as you like, but if you're, you're held up and your momentum shifts, that's no good. Hulidian has come from way back here, a brilliant drive, a Gavin Lang special, creep forward, don't sprint forward, and uh, and loomed himself into the race of his own, you know, natural organic speed. This is something yeah. that, you know, we've seen Queen Alida do a couple of times recently. Very few horses at Metro level can 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 even do this, Clevy, where you where you put yourself from a, an impossible position to striking distance, but you've done it yourself. You've and you have and you've done it without pressing the button, just with natural organic cruising speed. This in every single way, every single way, strength, stamina, speed, professionalism. Uh, this horse has gone to another level. I've got no doubt about it. Yeah, 100%, because if you have a look at any of his previous runs, he likes to be that horse that gets a break at the top of the straight and just zips home the last 200 metres. But Saturday night, John pulled him out three wide without cover, going down to about 650, 700 metres to go. That's not his style of racing. So for him to move up, John never let the bit out of his mouth. He just, like you said, he just crept up but kept him cruising. For that horse to then get to the top of the straight and dig deep and rip home, you know, we went 27-8 third quarter, 26-6 last quarter. He has, I suppose, matured into a bit of a racehorse now where he he can do that. So he is heading towards uh, the Inters. As you said, John, unsure about how he handled the long trip, but I, I know that he, he's the perfect horse to get through the series in the sense of you can drive him stone cold get the breaks, run thirds or fourths and get through to the final and then hope for a really good draw that suits. So, uh, you know, you, he wouldn't be the worst one going into it, that's for sure. Uh, as you mentioned, McRolly, very good. Julie B. Sylvester's uh, um, heading in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, Duke of Dundee, okay. Probably the one run that I was worried about, it's back in the day, was one of uh, a few runners who uh, bled, unfortunately, on Saturday night. So it's back in the day, I think, is... I think he's all done now, uh, unfortunately, for... Uh, for, for that's a second time. Yeah, I think that's the second. So I, I think for Bulldog Nicholson, yeah, that might be... Yeah. That's uh that's the, end of, uh, that's the end of the career for it's back in the day. But um, uh, no doubt he'll be looked after uh, post-retirement. Maybe he'll go into the Hero Program. He's a very, very good horse when he's in the mood. Might go to America. Yeah. I've got uh, some intel that Major Meister might be switching stables and could be going to Jason Grimson. After this run, uh, we know that Adam Kelly, uh, I don't know exactly what Adam's going through at the moment, but our um, thoughts go out to Adam because we know that uh, he's taking a sabbatical from training for the time being. So um, a most, 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 most interesting uh, trainer change there with Major Meister going to Jason Grimson. And Bulletproof Boy, Scotty Ewan did sound burning questions last Thursday that the start prior Bulletproof Boy it was just something not quite right, and it seems to me uh, there was something not quite right again on Saturday night because as great as I believe Hulunian is going, I don't think there's very much between he and Bulletproof Boy, and from where Bulletproof Boy was, uh, I would have thought that they'd go across the line with a, uh, a clean neck separating them, not 9.4 metres, Clevy. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that. And again, just flicking back through the actual uh, data on the race. So I was, I was the same. I thought Bulletproof Boy a tad disappointing. You know, he was three wide, you know, with cover. He got a little bit taken back when um, it's back in the day, drifted back. And that's when um, Hill in the end had actually made his way around three wide and was going to the death. But his last quarter was still in 26.45. Uh, 27.97 off the back. So his times are good. I, I think it's just his racing pattern that's just hurting him. The barrier draws are cruel in him because he just can't be the one, you know, up making a move to the death or whatever. And I think if you reverse the roles, if he had a card to Huli Nien up, then it may have been a different story for Bulletproof Boy. But, you know, when you're three back, three wide, trying to make ground in those sort of times, it's, it's a real struggle. Like, his last half was still running 54-43. I don't know what more he can do other than pray and and pray a lot for a good draw. Yeah, I I think I think it's not clearly it's not a bad run, which is that's the most important thing because it means a bulletproof boy. You look at the, the margin and you say, well, you don't want a situation where you're thinking, oh, he's bulletproof boy on the way down significantly as we head towards an Inter-Dominion series because I know that Scotty would love to be there. And Bulletproof Boy is a horse we know who is uh, probably most adept over short and middle trips, but has proven over his career he can go the long trip as well. And he's an ideal Inter-Dominion horse. He's tough, he's strong, he'll get through the series. Uh, still to me, looking at it, he comes around the turn and he's in his hit top gear and then it just flattens out a little bit and then he goes again and hits the line when a couple of them are tiring. To yep. me, to me, the real bulletproof boy uh, still runs past a Duke of Dundee and gets close to, you know, Julie B. Sylvester. He's he, he's he's not going badly and Scotty Ewan knows his horse inside out and will be able to get him where he needs to be, uh, I reckon, by Inter Dominion time. But I think I think if we ask Scotty, he'd say the same that um, this horse is just he's not at his five best. to ten five five to ten percent off where he needs to be. And unfortunately for a horse like Bulletproof Boy, and Hawley Nien's in the same category, and there's so many of them that are in the same category. If you're five to ten percent off your best, you come back to the pack, yeah, real quick, and, and that makes it hard if you're targeting those really good races. Uh, one more before we go to our final break in the first hour. Uh, the VHRMA Graham Goffin Memorial, and they did it again here. Summit Bloodstock, Emma Stewart, five-year-old mare. I I certainly wasn't comfortable that she was at her absolute best, Tom Bank. We will take a break now, but I'll just make the case for the race. Polly put kettle on, was able to work forward, find the front from her stablemate, call on me, who also unfortunately was stood down via the vets, I think, from EIPH as well. But we'll check that up in a moment. Sarah Ann ran second and Monomia third. But we'll talk about the Graham Goffin Memorial when we come back from a short break. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. And when we kissed you, left me begging for... Here my thoughts. I'm well, probably putting kettle on his now. The Victorian Harness Racing Media Association, Graham Goffin Memorial, was some sort of win, wasn't it, uh, Clavy? Polly put kettle on. Now, things did work out a little bit early with Call On Me blasting across the front. 
In fact, there was a little bit of specking for, for call on me. Polly Puddle-Gettelon was a little bit of a late minor drifter. Common Courtesy was the one that came in. We were all on Common Courtesy. Things didn't work out at the start there, but probably time to uh, probably time for certainly me to acknowledge that Polly Puddle-Gettelon is, is quite good. 55-1 home, mile rate 152-2. and two. Yeah, no, that was a pretty impressive run, and we all spoke about it uh, Saturday night. The Geelong run was one of those, mm, it was a nice win. How good is she sort of wins? Um, there was nothing sort of definitive to say, you know, that she was this good, uh, but she just took it to another level. Like you say, that time that she's run, uh, the stable mate worked hard early to get the front. She moved around. She didn't have to bustle to get the front, which certainly helped. Lead time was 7.1, but then 27.6, got a little breather at 30.1, 27.5, 27.6. And, yeah, it was a super run and and just, yeah, definitely stepped up to another level. I thought Sarah Ann in second was a very good run. She had to work around um, three wide to get around to the breeze. Only gone down by 4.5 metres. So that was a really good run. Uh, Monomia also went three wide uh, down the back straight uh, to run third. She's she's going really well at the same time. So the top three runners there were all good. Orby made the move in front of Sarah and it stuck on really well. Um, so what? Outback Shadow. Common courtesy, I thought, probably looked a little bit tired. Um, and Ruby Wingate as well. They've been going through some really tough racing against ladies in red and co and and quite possibly have just come to the end of uh end of that prep after those few runs it's always going to go one of two ways isn't it i mean I, I, you were expecting that uh, maybe a few of them would have um you know improved out of those those efforts in the angelic club pace and also the queen of the pacific but the queen of the pacific being a a long trip race i think maybe in hindsight i can look back and think um even if you were beaten a long way in that race, the times that are running over the long trip, then you've got to back up a week later. It's, it, it, I, I think you're right. I think it's taken its toll on a couple of these. Yeah, yeah. And, and especially the mares, um, you know, the old gelding can really sort of cop that hard racing. And, and, and you know, I mean, we, we spoke to Andon Galino and he scratched his mare out of the Inner Dominion for that reason, saying that the mares don't cop that tough, tough, tough racing, you know, time and time and time again backing up every week, but the old gelding sort of do. And, you know, this maybe showed a little bit in this race, you know, those mares, they've, they've had a few fairly hard runs and uh, it's very hard to sort of keep that going. And then a couple of horses that weren't in those runs, you know, have gone really well. But Monami has gone great. She was in there and Sarah Ann as well. So a couple of them have come through it really well and a couple of them, I think, have just sort of come, you know, just come to the end of it. Break coming up, our final, this will be our final break in the first hour. Um, but before we get there, Ben Studs, Standard Bread's Rising Stars, Pace Final, Group 3 level. Um, we, we're all just declaring Hector, obviously, after his performance in by far the stronger of two preliminaries for this series the week before, and uh, he didn't let us down. It was a very easy win. Uh, great runs from, well, Ultimate Vinny was the one who stood out. It's Ebony Ivory. Got a nice uh, pegline run. The Wolf was a shade disappointing. And I don't know how much more we can take from the race, but Hector's going places. Only a four-year-old gelding. And Ultimate Vinny deserves to break through in one of these races very, very soon. Clevy. Yeah, no, 100% with that one, Bond. It was probably the least impressive-looking win, um, but he just did it so easily. Um, you know, David Moran spoke that, 
he's not exactly the best horse out in front. Clayton had said during the week before, whatever you do, don't hit the front too soon because he uh, he switches off and he you know looks around and he's not really a, a perfect racehorse yet. So to be out in front and rolling along, he he did look exactly like that. He he was never going to sort of look like a a big flashy beast sprinting away, but he's very professionally got the job done and he certainly got uh, a future in front of him. It's Ebony and Ivory I thought was really good. Um, and same with Ultimate Vinny. Ultimate Vinny's had to make some work, go around to the death and and do it tough, which he's probably more known as a little sit sprinter. So that was a terrific run from Ultimate Vinny. And I've got both second and third horses going into my black book. I'll tell you what, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because Dave Moran has had to get stuck into Hector about 500 out, maybe even further out. But if you, if you watch the last 50 or 60 metres... That's where he uh, he was impressive again. He was able to hit top gear and he ran away from them there. He's definitely a better horse than uh, the rivals that he met on Saturday night. Um, I don't know if we're going to get a word in from the the, 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 the great giddy up with Gareth Hall's rolled into the studio. Maybe we'll chat with him when we seconds. ninety seconds. I, I've got it. You're joining me from ten o'clock tomorrow morning on Giddy Up. Anthony Butts coming into the studio. Oh my lord! So we're just going to treat like SEN track a little bit like the afternoons where we'll just. Um, try and find some winners and have some fun. Michael Stanley will join us. Grimo will join us. You'll be there. So we'll cross out of Hamilton, Mick Guren. Um, also, Josh Jenkins is there. And we might even go into the early afternoon as well. So, yeah, we'll have some fun. Let's just cancel tracks. Yeah. We'll just be going all day, I reckon. Uh, all right, back in a moment. This is our final break in the first hour of the retrospective edition of Trot's Life. Back very soon. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499-736-736. Welcome back to Monday Metrospective with uh, Jason Bonington and myself, Steve Cleave, here. We're Going through all the winners from a great weekend of racing, we've got one more race to cover from Melton on Saturday night with Idyllic taking out that race. But coming up next hour, we're going to cover all the Breeders' Crown uh, heats that were run at Bendigo for the three-year-old fillies, the three-year-old Colts and Geldings. And then we'll move on to Sunday where all the two-year-old Colts and Geldings and two-year-old fillies heats were run. Uh, some absolutely terrific races and uh, the times that these horses are running were just unbelievable. But uh, make sure you come back after the midday news with SEN Track and Monday Metrospective. We'll cover all those winners and make sure you bring your pen and your paper because we've got a couple of horses to go in the black book. So hopefully we can be finding you a few winners uh, in the weeks to come. But uh, we'll do all that in the second hour on SEN Track. You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Amazing, I can barely talk. Talk about Lewis Capaldi if required. Um, that's probably why I can't talk. Okay. Race eight. Uh, race eight on uh, Saturday night at Melton. Metrospective. Second hour with Steve Cleveland. Great news uh, there with Gareth Hall. Giddy up that uh, we're going to do an extended 
coverage from uh, 10 through to about one, maybe a tick after one, in the lead up to the New Zealand Cup, and it's going to be a cast of, a cast of stars. Um, yes. 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 Oh, yes. This is Adam Hamilton, Michael Guerin. The law, Josh Jenkins, everyone involved. Shout out to on the ground there as well. Race eight on Saturday night, um, Clevey. Idyllic, I tell you what, it makes sense, doesn't it? The Sue Murray Racing Group, uh, which would include Tara Tom Hogan and others, uh, Stu Watt, a couple of others, Ian Woolridge is in the uh, ownership, and didn't they wait, Elizabeth Cruz, didn't they wait until about 90 seconds before the race, before... Um, signalling, semaphoring what they were planning to do or how, how much they thought he was going to win. We were sitting there sort of postulating whether he was ready. First up run was disappointing. You'd made the case all night on Trot's vision that the Emma Stewart horses are peaking second up uh, these days or, or improving out of this world. But uh, we sort of knew as soon as we threw up to Luke Humphreys uh, what was going down here because Idyllic was around the 250, 260 mark and immediately just smashed into a dollar ninety, started a dollar eighty five, and it was visually, along with Hooli in the end, probably the most impressive win of the night. Sitting last at, uh, well, sitting last virtually coming into the home straight and just sweeping on by for a very dominant win. Yeah, it sure did. And uh, as you say, we we just threw up to Luke and we flicked up the odds very quickly, and you could just see it just every second that just kept coming in and in and in, and we went. Wow, we know what the story is now, and it, it played out to exactly that. And uh, and good luck to them if they got the punt because uh, they put a lot of money into these horses. So hopefully they got a little bit back, which is good to see. But ideally, as she said, it was very very plain first up. Um, bit of a question mark on where it was at. It had a long time off, and it had to have uh, some screws in its legs uh, after an uh, after a fracture. Um, and you just don't know how long it takes those horses to get back to, you know, that rock hard race fitness. But as I said, they, they just have this knack of just making their horses improve lengths from first up to second up now. And and that was proven again here in the last race. And ideally just flashed home and it really just had it won a long way out, even though it was sitting last at the top of the straight. As soon as Chris let this horse go, it was all over. I'm a shadow boxer was a good run. Magic Mike, who worked to the front, Got the front off hard and Roanoke stuck on well and Aussie Playboy ran his usual honest race uh, for fourth. But, yeah, the times that uh, they, they flashed home in, it was just, yeah, it was great to see Idyllic get back because we know how much ability he's got and uh, you never like seeing uh, good horses not be on the racetrack <clears> and when they come back, you want to see them at their best and we certainly saw that. Uh, 55.95, he just ripped home his last half, really, without any un- no pressure at all. Yeah, and it was... Um... You know, Sue Murray, um, and people will know anybody you know who's close to harness racing knows uh, who Sue is. Uh, you, you you get excited about every win, don't you? But I think she was really, really particularly excited because this horse has been through the ringer, been through a hell of a lot, really, really, really highly rated early doors. And uh, anybody who's been involved intricately in horses, uh, as you have for so many years, when when you know a horse has been through a fair bit, and you can get them back to that level. It, it, for the owners, for the horse itself, um, for the trainer, for everybody involved, it's a special moment because, uh, you know, th- th- there are a lot of occasions that you don't hear about because they never get back to the racetrack where these horses have these significant injuries and a lot of money is spent at the vet trying to get them back to the races and they never, ever get back to the races. Or if they do, they're never themselves again. So it's a massive relief and a huge cause for celebration when they do.
Yeah, 100%. As I said, they... Uh, I mean, the owners love their horses, and especially when they've got real ability like these ones and they do go and miss, it, it's heartbreaking. Uh, and, you know, as you say, it's a lot of money just to, uh, you know, keep them upright, I suppose you could say. And, and when they do come back, you just hope for the best. But, yeah, to see Idyllic get home the way he did, it, it just shows that he's back, he's good, and, and he'll certainly still only improve off that run. So congratulations to all of those. I know Tom and Sue had a great weekend, uh, Kafaji getting up as well, and they had another winner at Bendigo, I think, later on in the night. So they've had a terrific weekend. They certainly have. Now, I, I can't say that I've really that, – that I'm, I'm that uh, hardcore in any black bookers for the Saturday night meeting before we get stuck in the Breeders' Crown qualifiers – were there one or two that you've got the um, the asterisk against? I've got three. Okay. Um, yeah, so Majestical Bell, I thought it's worth going in the black book. I think first up run, that was a really good run first up since May. Times are really good. Didn't get knocked around doing the run. I think we'll improve off that. And it was, as I said, the only horse that went the similar time was the winner. So that saying that, it just needs half a bit of luck and it should be in the winner's uh, roll very soon. And then it's Ebony and Ivory, who we should already have in there because she's just ultra consistent. Put a little asterisk against her to have in there again. And Ultimate Benny, I think he'll be certainly winning the race soon. That was a different style of run from him Saturday night, and it was a terrific run. So that's all I could pluck out of Saturday night. Well, Vinny was the only one that I found, to be honest, out of Saturday night. Um, as, as we mentioned really early in uh, today's edition of Metrospective, a lot of the margins early were just so massive that it's hard to know who's who in the zoo, um, but uh, there's no doubt that the ultimate Vinny's performance, second line draw, mid-race move, bailed on so bravely uh, that he will be winning a similar style race, or at least a good metropolitan race, very, very soon. <clears throat> Let's uh, go back to the future, Friday night is where the Breeders' Crown Series, the Woodland Stud Australia Breeders' Crown Series 24 for the three-year-old Colts and Geldings began, and the first seat was won by Interest Free. We, we discussed these, Kirsten Graham and I, on uh, on Saturday night briefly, but it was pretty hard to find anything outside of Interest Free to, to follow for the future, although the runs of Jet, Jet Rock I thought was good. He's our, uh, Charlie's Angel was a little bit interesting, sort of, um, hit a flat spot, looked like uh, he was going backwards and then rallied. And there was one right at the back here because all of these uh, qualifiers through the heats go into the semifinals. I actually thought, even though he's finished second last, that Commander Buzz wasn't too bad. Well, it's funny. Your eyes were not lying to you because he ran the quickest last quarter of anything in that race. He ripped home in 26.85. Yeah. Everything else has ripped home in 27. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's one of those races you've got a really talented horse like Interest Free out in front and just rolling. He's, he's you know, I mean, he's been racing against some open age horses and, and you know, giving them a run for their money. So he's just an exceptional horse. He's Charlie Angel, was really good late. Uh, same with Jet Rock. So those three uh, certainly going to play a big part in the semis um, going forward. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's funny when there's a small field like that, and you know that everything's going to qualify, it probably changes a little bit how they drive their horses. If you're back in the field and you've got to run top four, then obviously you've got to drive your horse a lot different. But when you're guaranteed to get through, you don't need to absolutely kill your horse if there's no need for it. So, yeah, a horse like Commander Buzz ripping home like that, he just needs a half-decent draw to be up in the field and he'll be right in there. 
Well, in race two, they did drive them a little bit differently. Uh, you're right that uh, if everyone's going to qualify, you don't need to bust a boiler uh, trying to get through to the uh, next phase of the series. But in the second of the uh, the Breeders' Crown Heats for the three-year-old Colts and Geldings, the classic age boys, Kafaji won, sat parked and, uh, and crushed. He's the son of a gun who was uh, queried and um, I think stood down f- uh, vets or stood down pending a vet certificate because he wasn't anywhere near his best. He's the son of a gun. But Raw for Roscoe did decide to try and make a race of it. Flew home, really impressive run. And there's another one here that I mentioned on Saturday night. I think if Rappelling hadn't copped a, uh, I don't know if he copped a bump or he just raced roughly of his own volition, but Rappelling was about to go back to the sprint lane. And even when Kafaji had put his son of a gun to bed, I think Rappelling was nearly going to win. And then he put in a few stutter steps and ultimately lost the momentum that he required. And you'll see that he was paying $81 for a pelling at his finished second last, beating 6.4 metres. And I don't think many people are going to find what, a, what, what an outstanding potential run this was if he had a, uh, if he had a pace all the way. But a good win for Kafaji, who's starting starting again to, uh, to work towards fulfilling the potential, huge potential that he showed early doors. But this breed do get better with age and... Raw for Roscoe, very good, and um, he's a son of a gun. I think we'll just have to wait and see with him because that wasn't the real he's a son of a gun on Friday night. No, 100% agree with everything you said there. I'm not sure if Rappelling would have won. Just watching the replay again, he certainly would have ran third, I think. He just he was going well. He still broke 27 his last quarter. Uh, Raw for Roscoe ripped home in a 26-37 uh, last quarter, and it was a terrific run. He's really starting to step up. Um, and as you said, Kafaji, he's starting to learn to be a racehorse. He just sat outside, and they went pretty slow early, and you sort of just expected he's the son of a gun to win and Kafaji to run second. But he's the son of a gun, just to put a big question mark against him because uh, the, the best of him was nowhere near what we saw on uh, Friday night. We might go for a break now and come back and talk about the most impressive of the three British Crown Heat winners Oh, for the three-year-old Colts and Geldings on Friday night, Captain Ravishing, he's done it again. Unbelievable final quarter. Absolutely flying. And I want to make the case when we come back with Steve Cleave, even though he's gone his last quarter in 26 again, he's really only run the last couple of hundred metres. That's how fast this horse is. Back in a moment to talk about that and more of the Breeders' Crown qualifiers on Friday and Sunday in a moment. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Got another shot to pull up. Be a pass. Got another shot to pull up. Be a pass. Got another shot to pull up. 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 Got another shot to Poor old brown dog. He's got a, he's got his sushi there ready. A couple of teriyakis. I reckon there might be among them, or a crispy chicken, and uh, just trying to tighten up the fan belt on the old uh, on the old stationary boy. Right, race uh, three was the third of the three heats for the Breeders' Crown for the three-year-old Colts and Geldings, and we saw an absolute Learjet go around again. Captain Ravishing. I do not know how they'll beat him later in the series if he's in this kind of mood. He he was just brilliant again, wasn't he, Clevy? Yeah, he sure was. He uh, 
he just got that dashing turn of foot at the finish. And like you said, he really wasn't even dashing until about 100 from the line. He was doing his usual, oh, I'm going to hang in a little bit here and race a bit greenly. And Mark just said, hey, buddy, you want to wake up a little bit? And when he said that to him, he just put gaps on him. And, yeah, really horse, nice horse rip, let him go to the front, sat on his back, but um, just couldn't run with him when he when he accelerated in a 26 last quarter. And uh, you're right, I, I can't see anything. There's no leap to fame that's going to be able to park him and outstay him in this series. So it really struggles to see how they're going to beat him. Yeah, I've got no – they won't. If he's in the mood, they – as good as interest-free in Kafar, GR, and a few others, they won't be going with uh, Captain Ravishing if he's in the mood because that was the by, by far the, the strongest of the three qualifiers on Friday night. And Rip and Major Perry, really high-quality horses, and they were just – he was in a different world, Captain Ravishing. Right, three-year-old Phillies qualifiers. You'll be excited to talk about the first one. Me, not so much, because I love Beach Memories, and um, and you love Amelia, or that's what that's what you call Pettyonte or Pettyont, because you've done some work with Pettyont in the past. But uh, Beach Memories uh, again breaks the score up out of the, out of position, rips, finds a front, looks like it's going to blow them away. But the one very positive thing about Pettyont about Amelia at the moment, I feel like she's really switched on to wanting to win. She just dug in. And got the job done. Was Beach Memories a better run? I think she was. But I'm loving the fact that Petion doesn't like getting beaten anymore. Yeah, correct. We were a little bit worried early on how genuine she was in a real tough, tight finish. And if she was ever going to get beat, and this was a race that she'd get beat in, Beach Memories flew around her and just went straight past her because she was sort of just relaxed out in front. And you know, put a good gap on it too. And Mark had to go to work and wake her up, but she dug deep. And to get back up and win was an excellent run. So as you say, great to see her really hitting the line strongly now. Beach memories, it was a terrific run. So if you have a look at the times, down the back, Pettyont went 29.09, so 29.1, home in 27. But Beach Memories ran that back quarter in 27.56 to whip around the field as quick as she did to take the lead and still got home in 27.41. So we got a 56.1 last half for Petion and we got a 54.9 for Beach Memories. So that speaks volumes. Certainly does. Um, just looking at uh, LeBron James there, the Lakers having a bad start of the season. Phil, ja- We were discussing this the other day. Phil Jackson, they're trying to court him to come back and coach the Lakers at 77 years of age. Everyone says he can't do it, and yet their president looks like he's about 94, but they reckon he can do that. Anyway, it's a difficult, it's a tough world. Race six was the second of the uh, qualifiers for the three-year-old Phillies in the Breeders' Crown. This is the top-ranked Philly in the series. Has to be, you would imagine, in Cypher. Uh, Oaks winner, she feels like she's gone to another level. And funnily enough, she's a different kind of Captain Treacherous. You know, we've, we we see all these speed machines. We'll talk about a couple from the two-year-old division. Uh, you've got Catch a Wave. You've got Captain Ravishing. And Cypher's one of these Captain Treacherous um, uh, progeny, this time Philly, Clevy, who's – she's just professional. She just gets the job done, doesn't she? She doesn't look quite as flashy as a couple of the other captains, but – um, she's she's the best of the Phillies at the moment, it would seem. And you can't, well, I can't envisage anything that she beat on Friday night, turning the tables later in the series. No, correct. And you have a look. I mean, she was three wide for a whole lap trying to work her way forward. Um, you know, she gets there just before the where they started the race off. So it's not like she's just been handballed the front and said, you know, just get out there in 200 metres lead and do what you like. She's had to do the work and she won 
unchallenged and and really not even extended. Mark was sitting pretty cool, karma collected on a beach life went good. Uh, Coco Mia and and Joe and Joe as well. I uh, just had a quick look at the sectionals and Cipher ripped home her last quarter in twenty six seven. So she can stay all day and she's got speed to burn. So when you got a little bit of both, it makes it very hard to uh, get past them. Uh, we'll go to the next of the qualifiers. We'll get through all of the three-year-old fillies. So when we come back from a break, we can concentrate on the uh, the babies, the juveniles. Um, Soho Historia, unbelievable. Emma Stewart again, Mark Pitt. Um, it's just like Groundhog Day. Soho Historia, the question is, up in Queensland, in the Oaks, was good enough to defeat uh, Moray Vita, who at the time was the number one ranked filly going around. In your opinion, is Soho Historia in the same league as Petiont? And is Petiont in the same league as in Cypher? Is there not much between them? Where do they all sit? Because they all won very comfortably on uh, on Friday night. Uh, I put Soho Astoria and Petiont together, but I don't put them both within Cypher. I think a Cypher's got the jump on both of those. Okay, so Soho Astoria, though, is good enough with the right draw to um, well, be dangerous at the next phase of the series. And maybe uh, if, you've, if you're putting her in the same boat as... Petionte, what we're basically saying is get through to the final and the uh, inside for clearly the one to beat, but these two potentially good enough to challenge if they drew much, much better than Incipher. Is that is that close to surmising the case pretty well? That would be their only chance of beating uh, Incipher, but even then I, I still don't know that they could. I, I honestly think Incipher could draw bad work around and, and probably still beat them. I, I think she's that good. Well, uh, so, and I mean that, Looking at that, uh, what you've just mentioned there, Soho Historia wins by 3.6 metres over another Emma Stewart runner in uh, Interject. Is there anything else there that you think can, can improve? Miss Shanti, we know, went through the Oaks and to me seems to be better placed in the long distance races. So it's hard to see, again, anything from the peloton, so to speak, uh, being able to challenge Soho Historia or even, let alone uh, Petiont or, or more importantly in Cypher later in the series. Correct. Interject, if it had an easier run, maybe able to get a little bit closer to Soho Astoria, but anything behind that would certainly need a lot of luck. So uh, they do look to have a, you know, one of the best hands you could ever have going into the semis. Now, critically, what do we make of this final qualifier? Because everyone wanted to see what Amore Vita could do uh, with the new camp with Emma Stewart and Clayton Tonkin. And she might be another case that at her second run for the camp, she'll improve. But just coming around the turn, she just lost her way. She seemed to get off balance. Steno was able to hold the margin. Amore Vita, when she has flattened out in the last or the concluding stages, has hit the line well. But she didn't look like she'd made that dramatic necessary improvement back to where she was um, that she had in the past. The only thing I will say, and it's something that I always talk about watching horses run past the post, Amore Vita goes straight by Steno about 30 metres after the post. Maybe that's the encouraging sign that Amore Vita fans can hang their hats on. But apart from that, uh, Steno won on her merits, I think. Yeah, Steno got a very cheap run of it out in front. And, you know, when they go 29 and a half down the back, it sort of makes it a little bit hard because you've got to find point-to-point speed really quick. And I think that's where Amore Vita just sort of lack that little quick, you know, sort of walking to full bore. Um, 
Chris had to sort of get up her and ask her a little bit and up the straight on she just yeah she laboured a little bit but then come really strong late and like you say she was winding up I reckon if they got running at the 800 then I think it would have been a different story if they had just gone 28 down the back instead of 29.5 I reckon Amore Vita would have ran straight past that leader so again expect improvement second up and, and probably even third up because they haven't had her that long one thing with these stables um, the way they do it they've got a system and you can't just send a horse there and say oh it's going to work you know improve in a week it, it just doesn't happen they need to get in their system get used to how that system works with the horse become accustomized to it and then you start seeing improvement so whatever she does she's going to get better and better and she did run her last quarter in 25.96 so even though she sort of you know said wasn't ready to go as in she got left behind a little bit once she got wound up she was flying all right, I'm going to be a bit of a prick here, Clevy, right? So uh, Steno won the Breeders' Crown as a two- and three-year-old filly. Uh, Steno didn't. Steno's mum, Lady Waratah, I should say, won the Breeders' Crown as a two- and three-year-old filly. Three-year-old filly Breeders' Crown success was won at Ballarat on the 20th of August, 2006. Do you reckon you could name one other runner in that race? Lady Waratah wins 2006 Breeders' Crown Phillies final. Oh, gee. i got no hope. I can't remember who won a race last week, mate. <laughs> these are actually – I'll tell you what, even though I loved a couple of these, it's it's probably not the uh, – if it had been a couple of years earlier, I reckon there was uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of fillies you might have known. Deanna Troy, second, Protocory, third, Indeed, Dylan Jagirl, Rowan Maggie, Western Dream, Totally Radical, Dancer Rainbow, Intuitional and Irish Luck. So – um, very well bred, Steno. Oh, we don't think she's probably going to win the series. But I'll tell you one thing before we go to the news quickly here, Clevy. It is good to see at least um, interstate involvement and an interstate are winning one of the uh, qualifiers there because you do not want it to become the Victorian Breeders' Crown because we've got the Vic Bread Super Series. We don't need two identical series, do we? So even having a, a horse like Steno turn up and win for Cam Ross and Jack Kelligan, I think, is good for the Breeders' Crown. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> we want the best of the best being there. It's, uh, you know, that's what it was all about. It's supposed to be the, the race of uh, the ages for that crop. So, and that, that's Australasia wide. So, the more good horses we can get into that final, the better. So, absolutely agree. But it is very hard, you know, and Emma Stewart has such a dominant hand of good horses and, and only strengthening her team, you know, with Nathan Purden heading back to New Zealand, they've picked up a few horses out of that stable and, you know, the likes of Amore Vita coming into the stable, it just makes them even stronger than what they were uh, beforehand. All right, we might take a break now for the news, come back and talk about the two-year-olds. Uh, we'll rip through here. There's going to be a lot of Emma Stewart action going on again here. The three for the uh, baby girls and the three for the baby boys qualify as they were for the Breeders' Crown on Sunday. We'll talk about them in a moment. For now, let's find out what's happening in the world. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. What a great song. Play it, play it. Retrospective Monday. Don't forget tomorrow, 
extended coverage or previewing of the New Zealand Cup card with Gareth or myself, Anthony Butt coming into the studio, Adam Hamilton, Michael Guerin, Josh Jenkins. It'll be a full book. But before that, let's let's um, let's team a few of these together with the limited time we've got left to talk about the uh, the two year olds. But the Phillies, everything just went perfectly to plan. Tempting Tigress won very comfortably. Um, major delight ate her rivals alive. Uh, out of Lady Euthenia, making her a uh, a sister to Max Delight, as we know, and perfect in pink. So between them, they paid a dollar twelve, a dollar nine, and a dollar thirty-five. And I don't know that we learned a hell of a lot because we need to see. We actually need to see them race against each other again, don't we, Clavy? We certainly do. It's uh, it's, it's always hard when they they get split up like that and they don't actually compete against each other in the heats. It's you like to see, but I suppose it does make a good final of it. But um, out of the first heat, I tell you, the eye catcher was Aureus for Jess, uh, yeah. Jess Tubbs and Greg Sugars. It's ran its third quarter in 25.96, and then it did get tired a little bit late, about 70 metres to go, 27.64, 53.6 last half. That was amazing. If anything's going to get in there and push some of the one of these horses of the Stewart's camp, that might be the one to watch. Well, I've got a big, big opinion opinion of her. She defeated um, early doors. I think it only her second or third career start. Um, it was fourth, as a matter of fact. So I won at Maryborough comfortably and then defeated Alicia and Jay. <clears throat> and I was heavily on her that night. And uh, she is the daughter of a very, very smart man named Saliqua, who um, I'm not even sure we, even though she won a lot of races, we never even saw the, the very best of Saliqua. I know that... Um, the late legendary Alan Tubbs had a big opinion of her, Amy as well, and Aureus, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Out of that first qualifier, uh, that might be the one to upset the apple cart. In your own mind at the moment, well, the other one who was, I think, maybe a touch disappointing on uh, on Sunday or yesterday was Soho Seraphine because I think she's potentially got the ability to be dangerous as well, but uh, might be missing her... Uh, her best mate, Michael Stanley, he's over trying to win a New Zealand Cup tomorrow. Yeah, no, it certainly was. I mean, it had every possible chance. It posted the favour. It held it out. said, we're going to make you earn this win. Well, earn it, it did, because it went past her going down, halfway down the back straight, and they broke the track record. So the previous track record was set in the race before, going 153.4. They come out in the next race. Major Delight sits in the death and breaks the track record again. 26-6 third quarter and got home in 28.5, like, those times are just unbelievable, you know, when you're just running that sort of times as a two-year-old, it's, yeah, 26.38, her own individual uh, quarter down the back, so 54.8 uh, home for her, but as I said, Aureus is 53.6 in the other one was, you know, just as impressive, so... Yeah, but Soho Seraphine, I thought it would have got a lot closer than that. But as you said, just sort of went past it like it was standing still when they uh, decided to put the hammer down. It's really interesting. We'll get to another break in a moment. But it's very interesting that uh, we've probably looked at least to this point, And it's so late in the season, yet we don't know who's who in the zoo when it comes to the juveniles. Uh, but one thing I will say is I think there's been a prevailing wisdom that the boys are, are a lot better than the girls. And this is not a golden generation of two-year-old fillies. And then they come out and produce what they did yesterday. It's amazing, isn't it? 
It is. And it's amazing. The last, oh, I reckon six years now, it's turned. Like it used to always be, a, yeah, you wanted to get a colt. You wanted to get the boys. Now the fillies, the last six years, I think if you had a good filly, you'd probably feel a bit hard done by because you've been running into some of the best crops that you've ever seen. You know, It's just been an absolutely amazing turnaround for the mares and fillies, which is great to see because at least that, you know, keeps those horses coming through for our breeding barns to keep improving the breed going forward. All right, just before the break, give us your top rater in the series. Tempting Tigress, Major Delight, Perfect in Pink, or anybody else? Major Delight. Tempting Tigress for me at the moment. Uh, nice to have a little head-to-head there. We will go for our final break here on Trot's Life, and when we return, we'll talk about the two-year-old Colton Geldings as they began their journey along the Breeders' Crown Pathway yesterday. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. A little bit of Tay-Tay there. Um, You're on your own, kid, is the best song off that album by Space. A Space. Can we play out with that or something like that? Dags disagrees. Oh, well, I was sorry. I, I was wrong. Uh, apparently, Tags has told me. Tags, who is uh, the Molly Meldrum of, uh, of of music reviewers, has uh, do yourself a favour and listen to Calmer. He says so. Uh, poor old Bond might have spent a few years on stage or whatever, but I'll, I'll reserve my opinion next time. I'll find out what Tags says first. Right, um, two year old Colton Geldings, first heat yesterday. Techie's watching. They've, they've, they've had a big opinion of Techies watching right from the start. I remember hearing this, and uh, it was a it was a nice win to to kick off another nice little run for Emma Stewart and uh, and the team. But I think it was the next one with the lost storm and school captain who we'd seen go head to head in the uh, in the homegrown classic final, which was an absolute classic. This was not as exciting, but uh, how about the last quarter of that second heat for the two year old Colts and Geldings? Yeah, it was just amazing the speed these guys can run. The Lost Storms ran his last quarter in 25.6, school captain 25.65. They are just little speed machines, and uh, they're certainly going to go to a few jewels, these two horses. They're uh, exceptional little paces. And one to take note of, I thought, in race eight, uh, behind Techies watching, is our Benny. Now, we spoke about Amoro Vita going to improve with uh, a little bit of time in the tutelage of the Stuart uh, Tonkin camp. And our Vinny's another one that's only just joined the stable as well with Nathan Purden, as we said before, heading back to New Zealand. So I thought it went very good running second and will only improve off that as well. So that's one to watch uh, going forward. But yeah, it was uh, terrific races, those two. And, and then leading into the third one where it was a very – uh, different finish in the fact that Emma Stewart did not win. No, we'll talk about that in a moment because it's a horse that um, I've never taken out of the uh, the old school black book. Um, prior to you joining me on Metrospective, uh, Nikita Ross, of course, used to uh, used to jump in the chair before heading over to a uh, country race in Victoria. And I had little Louie in there, and every week when we'd have a look and say, who do we leave in, who do we leave out, I never wanted to kick little Louie out because I think little Louie's got a fair bit of ability are you good enough? See, this is the challenge, isn't it? It's always the challenge. Even if you've got one good one, when you're going up against an absolute army, it's not easy, is it, uh, Clevy? So, I mean, even if little Louis is 
up to the task of mixing it with with uh, some of the the better Emma Stewart runners here. Just the weight of numbers that they have at their disposal is is mind boggling. It really is. Uh, it's sort of so. It's just so hard when you get a good horse when you're meeting up against a stable like that. And uh, you know, you've only got to look at some of their races too. It, it's not like they really drive to sort of help each other out. They they drive yeah. and take each other on. So. You know, if you're part of that, when they want to go to war, it makes it very, very difficult because there's about 10 of them that are happy to come around and have a crack. Well, it's like uh, the old uh, the old Muhammad Ali line, I'm going to start throwing punches, you're going to think you're surrounded. Well, you are. <laughs> you are. And it doesn't matter whether – it's not about team driving or whether they're trying to uh, – they're trying to stack the uh, the deck in their favour. It's just if there's one in front of you, there's one behind you, there's one outside of you, and there's another one, you know – it That's makes it. it very hard because they're all quality animals. It's worth noting again, and I know I'm, I'm going on about this a lot of more recent times, but um, but yeah, the, the 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 captain treacherous situation with the lost storm school captain and captain's knock to edit this series all as uh, you know some of the, if not the three highest rated, then very close to all being by captain treacherous. He he's imprimatur that he's stamping right now. Is uh, it's a very there's something very better to light about it anyway, Clevy. Yeah, well, even going back to Captain Treacherous's stallion, uh, unfortunately, we lost the great Sun Beach somewhere. You know, like he was he he done the exact same thing. He stamped that brilliance and and would be still doing it had he still been around. And now Captain's been able to take over the mantle from that and keep going. And they are just you know they're they're just so impressive. They they've just got speed to burn and. They just look so mature too. Like they're not, you know, gangly, uh, immature two-year-olds or anything like that. These guys just look like professional racehorses, and that's that's one stamp that he does put on his progeny. So uh, where do we go to, to, to find the top raider for the two-year-old Colts and Geldings? I, I think before, the, um, before we kick this off, um, over the weekend on Burning Questions on Thursday, I spoke to uh, the panellists on burning questions around what their uh, top raters were in each of the different categories. I was with the Lost Storm there, and I don't think I saw anything yesterday to to change my mind. No, I'm with you there. I, I think the Lost Storm just in front of Techies watching would be uh, my pick as well. All right, with about a minute to go, uh, Clevy, what will you be doing tomorrow? Now, you, you, can, you can admit this if it's true because I don't know whether you're passionate about the New Zealand Cup and whether you're really going to be um, trying to find a, a place to ensure that you can you can soak it all in. We know that we've got so many feature races here in Australia, but will you be keen to take in the New Zealand Cup and watch the Australian representative rock and roll do hopefully do us proud and follow in the footsteps of Arden Rooney tomorrow? 150%, mate. We, uh, I am as passionate as you'll ever find. I eat, sleep, dream, everything, horses. So uh, I'll be uh, watching it. Uh, got a little bit of FOMO that I didn't get an invitation to join you boys. When G come in before, I thought, gee, that's a pretty fair rollout. I might, uh, might get a tap on the shoulder, <laughs> but not to be. So I'll just have to be listening to you boys. But uh, I'll certainly be watching it and cheering on the do. He, he's just done an amazing job over here before he went over there and Let's hope Mick Stanley and uh, and uh, I'm just trying to think of his what's his nickname? Hendo. Hendo, that's it. Let's hope Mick and Hendo can do the job for Aussies, and uh, no matter what he does, he'll do us proud. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I'm looking forward to it as well, and we'll be off air by the time the cup comes around, I reckon. Although the boys on trackside will look after the tips there, and we'll uh, we'll stick with them to some degree. But might head off to a pub and watch Hendo win the New Zealand Cup. 
Well done, Clevy. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Bond. Have a good one, mate. We're going to wind up with this absolute cracker song. Apparently, unfortunately, it's been downgraded to the second best song on the new Taylor Swift album, Midnight's, but just wind it up a little bit, Tom Bang. This is, this is, a, this is a real tune. That's been Metrospective. That's Taylor Swift. Coming up now, we'll be doing a Palmer bet odds update, but Brown Dog's ready to do that. He's got the lycra on. He's got the bike here. He's ready to roll. Sammy Holland's down there on the jitsy. He'll be ready to roll. Look forward to some winners and a big, big afternoon on Trackside, and I'll catch up with you again tomorrow for more Trot's Life as we uh, as we preview that New Zealand Cup. The biggest of the races in New Zealand, bigger than any thoroughbred race going around the New Zealand Cup. So looking forward to it. Talk to you then.